Welcome to the Conference of Consulting Actuaries Leadership Development Podcast. This podcast is designed to provide actuaries with leadership skill development through thoughtful and engaging interviews from leaders within the profession. Tune in to gain new insights that will help you as you look to develop or refine your leadership skills and become a more successful professional. Thanks, Shannon, and thanks everyone for uh, joining us today on our podcast. Uh, as Shannon mentioned, my name is Michael Clark. I'm a past president of the Conference of Consulting Actuaries and a managing director at Agilis based out of Denver, Colorado. My guests on today's Leadership Development Interview Series podcast are the current presidents of the Society of Actuaries, John Robinson, and the Casualty Actuarial Society, Roosevelt Mosley. Um, I am really excited to have these gentlemen on our podcast today. This is actually the first time in the history of the actuarial profession that either the SOA or the CAS has been led by someone that is black. And more impressive that both organizations broke this barrier in the exact same year. And, and we were chatting just before we started recording today that this, this year actually happens to fall the year after that all five U.S. actuarial organizations were led by women for the first time, um, which is really cool. So John Roosevelt, welcome to our, our leadership development interview series. Uh, I, I'd love to have each of you introduce yourselves for a few minutes so our listeners can uh, get to know each of you better. John, would, would you start us off? For sure. sure. And, and Michael, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for having us, Roosevelt. Good to be with you as always. And uh, I've been looking forward to this day with, with some excitement. So just in terms of a, a brief introduction, I'm, a, I'm obviously a fellow of the Society of Actuaries. I'm also a fellow of the Conference of Consulting Actuaries, and um, I'm a member of the American Academy of Actuaries. Um, I live in Apple Valley, Minnesota, near St. Paul. My last job was as a life insurance regulator for the state of Minnesota. And that's, that, um, I did that for about six years. And so that's how come I'm in Minnesota. In terms of past experience, um, I did three years. My very first three years were in pensions. Um, and then I spent 23 years in life insurance, primarily on the financial reporting and reserving side. I was appointed actuary for one year with one of my companies. And then I did six years of OPEP, which is a very interesting combination of pensions and health. And, you know, many of you in the CCA would know would know what that is. And, I, and actually that's one of the reasons I joined the CCA because I was doing OPEB work as a consultant. Um, and then my last five years were as, a, as an insurance regulator. So technically I'm retired since July the 30th of <laughs> 2021. I do have a small company called Robinson Associates and I have one pension plan as a client. It's a 30 <laughs> life plan. I'm not looking to grow it in any particular way, but it uh, it, it so happened to, to to come to pass, and so I do a little work for them once, a few hours once a year. Well, and I'd say John retired probably in quotes because I know your work with the Society of Actuaries has uh, kept you more than busy uh, over the last year so far in uh, the various uh, meetings and places that you've you've gone on their behalf. So uh, very much thank you for what you do for the profession on, in, in your spare time, in your retired time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Roosevelt, would you mind uh, giving us a few minutes on yourself? Sure. Um, and thank you uh, for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here and to be discussing this uh, the issue of leadership with you. 
And John, again, as always, my friends, it's always good to, to see you and to be uh, talking with you. Um, and to the point about John being retired, you are the hardest working retired man that I know. So, um, it was, when I get to retirement, hopefully <laughs> my activity level doesn't look like that. Uh, I am a, uh, obviously a fellow of the, the Casualty Actuarial Society. Um, I am also a member of the American Academy of Actuaries and a certified specialist in, in predictive analytics. Um, as far as my career, I spent the first six years of my career uh, working in for primary insurance companies, uh, in uh, mostly in personal lines, a, a little bit of commercial lines, actuarial work as well. Uh, I then made the the jump to consulting, and I've been doing that for almost 24 years now. A lot of my work in consulting has been focused in the area of analytics and, and helping companies use data and information more effectively uh, in in all of their business processes, pricing, underwriting, etc. And uh, it, it's been a really um, it's been a really interesting ride, a really interesting career that, that I've been fortunate to uh, to, to have taken part of um, all because a long time ago I chose that I wanted to be an actuary and so um, again happy to be with you looking forward to the discussion. Awesome well again thank you both. Um, I, I want to start off with uh, one of the things that I mentioned in the introduction here that this is the first time that both the SOA and the CAS have been led by presidents that are, are black. Uh, I, I want you both to talk to us for a bit about the significance that's, that this uh, holds for each of you personally. Uh, John, let me start with you. Okay, sure. Well, um, uh, one of the great things I think about the SOA is, is that the president is elected directly by the members. And um, in addition to that, we usually have two or three candidates. Um, I can't think of anywhere where we just had one. And so, um, so the first thing is that, you know, I was sort of recruited. I had served on the SOA board before 13, 2013 to 16, and they were looking around for candidates and it is a responsibility of board members to try and find candidates. So I got the call from one, and I said, you know, I, I had tried running for president in the past and not been successful. And I said, I'm not so sure I want to do that. But then I got calls from other board members. And then I saw the, the nom we have a nominating committee that chooses who are the folks that will get on the ballot. And there was a video put out by the chair and, the, and, and they were talking about looking for diversity in a, in a way that I had never really seen it before. Uh, now, 2021 was, of course, a very special year because this was the year after George Floyd. This was the first full election after the year that George Floyd, that, that of course, occurred you know, a few miles from my home in Minnesota there. And so uh, as I thought about it, I said, you know, if there's any year that might be a good year for a person like myself, uh, to be someone that the organization would accept as president, it was going to be 2021. And so I decided to raise my hand and make myself available, which that's, that's the only way these things are going to happen is if you're willing to do it. And so, and so, so in terms of it, meaning I, I know there's a historical significance, but whenever I, I, I say that, I give the credit to the members because the members elected me. And in my case, I was elected as, as one of three 
three candidates. And so, um, so I, I always give them credit. Um, in terms of black actuaries, um, you know, there's always concern about, you know, being represented. And so we've made some progress in the last few years, actually, by my count. With the SOA, there's just been two of us. Uh, Michael Wynn, uh, Roosevelt, I don't know if you ever met him. I, he has since died, but he was the first bl um, black board member of the SOA between 1986 and 1991. And um, I kind of regret that I, I, he wasn't active in IABA. And I kind of regret that I didn't take the trouble to go meet him uh, where he was. So he was the first of two that we've had so far. The Academy, I think, has had three between Jeff and, and, and two, or two other people. And, and, and Kaz, I think, Roosevelt, correct me if I'm wrong, there have been three, three black actors, including yourself, on the board. Maybe you, you can tell me if I've got that right. So in terms of black actors, I think recently we've made a little progress, but I'm hoping to see more people raise their hands and say, you know, I'd like to try for these roles. That's excellent. Roosevelt, how about you? What, what is this period of time um, hold for you in terms of significance? Well, and if I'm being completely honest, I'm not sure that I've been able to grasp fully what this is going to mean. This is probably one of those situations where, you know, after we, we served our, our year as president, then we get a chance to reflect back on it. The, the real true significance of what this, this has meant is going to is going to hit me at some point, but um, I what what I I echo a lot of what John said. Um, it, it does at least suggest that that we are making progress. Um, uh, it, some might might call it slow progress, but we, but we are making progress. And and to to John's point, um, uh, back when I served on the the board of directors, I actually was the the first. Um, black board member uh, that the CAS had, and and so that was that was a, a another first that we we had experienced. Um, since that time, there there's been and, and I made this point in my uh, acceptance speech last November, is that at at some point, um, hopefully we get past the need to even have to count. Um, there there will have been enough uh, folks that that we lose count. And and to your point, John. Um, it's been more than three, but I've, I've I've actually lost count, which which I take that as a a progress, a step of progress in terms of of members of the the board of directors. Uh, but but when it, it, much like John, maybe your story, the I the 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 idea of of being president had been floated to me by some others, and um, for a number of reasons, I had never I never thought that it was the right time when when it had been floated to me and this was all prior to to the events of 2020 um when uh it, it finally became clear to me that that it was time to do it uh it, it was one of those moments where um and i think i've told this story before uh, it was actually my wife that that came out of nowhere and convinced me that that it was time to do it um when, when I, it wasn't a point, it wasn't even something we had been discussing. We just, um, yeah, that was kind of divine intervention. I, I see it. Uh, but, but when I made that decision to do it, it, it the, the idea of, of being able to provide a, a point of inspiration for those that are going to come after us, um, uh, that, that really began to, to, to weigh on me and hit me as kind of the significance of this moment. And so 
um, while there will be a point where we we do have the opportunity, I'm sure, to sit back and 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 sort of think about what this meant for us personally, um, the the weight of what it means for the profession and those coming after us as a whole probably weighs on me a little more than than what it means for me personally. No, that's that's excellent. I, I appreciate both of your insights on that. Um, Roosevelt, let me continue uh, along the same line with you. Um, over the course of your career, what changes have you seen that have affected actuaries from minority backgrounds? Uh, so, and, and as I, I when when I saw this question, I, I began to sort of think back on my career and and when I even started when I began sort of considering the actuarial profession, and and uh, this this goes back a bit, but when when I was in high school, actually my my beginning of my senior year in high school is when I found out about the actual profession and decided that I was going to give it a shot. And, you know, the work sounded interesting. What actually do sounded interesting to me as someone who was interested in math and statistics. But, but one of the things that I distinctly remember, and I still have a picture of this picture in my head to this day, was um, when I got some information from the Society of Actuaries on, on being an actuary, one of the brochures that they had had a picture of of Mike Poe and Ollie Sherman in it. Oh. And and for those of you that don't know, um, Ollie Sherman was the first black SCAS. Um, Mike Poe was in the probably top four or five. I forget what number he's in, but um, but but the I, I distinctly remember that because I, I saw two people that that sort of reflected me, and and it maybe it maybe solidified for me that okay this is something that I could potentially pursue and so when I think about what has changed from then until now uh, you know obviously there are more minorities that have entered the profession um, I, I remember going to uh, actuarial meetings and many times being the only one um, I don't I, that that's not really true anymore and so I, that that says we we've made progress the um, I, I remember joining IABA back in the, the late 90s, I guess it was, when the, the numbers were small and the meetings were small. Um, and, and I compare that to going to the last IABA meeting in New Orleans, where there were over 400 um, Black actuaries or, or people there, um, including you know, a significant number of Black actuaries. And so all of those things that have changed, I think, do provide uh, inspiration uh, again for for those that that there is a community that there is uh, support uh, and, and you don't oftentimes have to feel like you are are the only one and so the, a, a number of those types of things that have changed have, have really um, I, I've really been able to take heart that that we are again making progress we're moving in the right direction um, the other thing I'll mention and, and this maybe comes at it from the the other side of things is that uh, since everything that's happened in 2020, uh, while there has been an increased focus and an increased amount of attention paid to the, the efforts around DEI, um, there's also been an increased amount of pushback in in, in DEI as well. And and when that that happens, uh, it it certainly does have an impact on minority actuaries. Uh, well, because it, it, it being brutally honest, sometimes it makes some feel like, is this really the place for me? Do I really belong here? Do I really fit here? 
And and so while while that isn't that that certainly does does dishearten me some, um, it also reminds me that that we've got to redouble our efforts. That that we haven't we haven't finished the work. We haven't made it. Uh, we're making progress, and it's going to be important to continue to make that progress. No, that's excellent. Um, and, and yeah, I appreciate your perspective there. Uh, John, same, I'd love to give your get your opinion on this too. I, um, I, I don't want to call you the elder statesman here, but uh, you, you are the retired one of the group. So um, I, I'd be really curious from your perspective, what changes you've seen that have affected actuaries from minority backgrounds over the years? Sure. Well, I think, I think for, I, I, um, I, when people ask me, I talk about my diversity career as starting in 1993 when I was at Nationwide. And, um, and it started, first of all, with the idea that the chief actuary, his name is Harbour Galloway. I, I don't mind calling him out, naming him. Um, and he and all of his senior actuaries were white males. <laughs> I'll mention that as well. But he recognized the value of diversity. And at that time, it was only diversity, right? It, 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 the E and the I didn't come yet. And he recognized the, the value of diversity. And, and, and he had a training for his 50 or so FSAs. Um, and he brought in an African-American to do the training. And uh, that African-American really challenged them um, with, you know, and, and basically he was sort of making it clear to them what sort of benefits they had. Uh, we, use, we, we use a term which we didn't know back then. We didn't have it back then, white privilege. But that's really what he was was sort of challenging with. Um, so, and some of them actually got a little upset over that. But they did embrace the principle of DEI, even though they felt like you know they were being picked on, you know, for being white. They did accept, uh, and this is one of the great things I've found over the years that we have a sense of equity that tends to lend itself very easily to to accepting accepting diversity and DEI. As you mentioned, Roosevelt, I think in terms of you know what what changes, the existence and growth of the IABA certainly in the case of black actors has been monumental. I mean, it's not uncommon. I go to an IABA meeting and I come across someone who says, you know, John, if the IABA didn't exist, I would not have been a fellow, because the inspiration that they derive from looking at Roosevelts and John Robinsons and Jeff Johnsons and Stafford Thompsons and Sharon Robinson. And, and on and on, uh, is invaluable, is invaluable to them. Um, uh, the other thing in general is, you know, IBA goes back to 1992, and OLA, the Organization of Latino Actors, was founded in 2017. Now, I feel a little bit as a godfather of that because I really encouraged a few of the founders to make it happen. But the other thing that has, has occurred since that time, and probably 2020, or very recently, is that we've just seen several of these affinity groups just spring up spontaneously. Um, they're not at attached to either SOA or CAS. They, they are, they're agnostic. I like that. I, I do think that's the way to go. And so we've had um, Abacus Actuaries, which is about um, actuaries of Chinese descent. Um, Saga is a uh, uh, LGBTQ uh, members. Sana is a South Asian network of actuaries, and Anawa, the, the network of actuarial women and allies. So, just seeing these, just sort of sprout, you know, just spring up on their own, 
all of our organizations, I imagine, are supportive of them. Mm -hmm. And um, that, that, that gives me a lot of pleasure. And I support all of them as, as much as I can. No, you're right. And, I, and it has been good to see all these groups pop up, even for the even if it's just to benefit those that are currently in the profession and give them a group or a home that uh, of, of people that maybe face similar challenges that, that they do um, or, or can help you know, mentor and, and uh, help younger actuaries navigate otherwise tricky circumstances that others might take for granted, for mm -hmm. sure. And, and actually, let, let's talk about that a little bit, John. So you, you both have brought up DE&I uh, that, that's really come to the forefront and, and been in, I think, mainstream discussions throughout the country over the last three years. Um, what advice do you have for people from minority backgrounds that are in the profession or that may be considering a career as an actuary? Who do you want to start? John, go ahead. Okay. Well, I think I think the first thing is that the actual profession, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but people who end up in this profession have a very strong sense of equity and fairness. Um, it goes back to the very beginnings of our profession where one of the calculations, early calculations that they had to figure out is dividends, right? Most of our insurance companies were mutual companies. And so they had this question of dividends. What is the equitable way to do it? And they came up with a, what, what we now call the three-factor formula. And in fact, there was a modification which was probably less known and not implemented as widely. Somebody said, that's not equitable enough. And they came up with a five-factor formula. So that's the sort of, that's the sort of thing, that, 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 that sort of fairness thing that, that, that lends itself to, to, to a belief in equity and a belief, and in, eventually to a belief in DEI. So I feel like most actuaries uh, support DEI in principle. There, there may be some, uh, you've mentioned organizational pushback and so on and so forth. But somehow my, my suspicion is that at heart, most people would, would support those, those, um, those principles. Employers, of course, believe that diversity is good for business. And that's starting from that premise. And that has been empirically shown in many cases, in many instances, in many industries to be the case. Um, and all of the leading actual organizations employ and embrace DEI. So all five of us in the United States and, and in most countries around, the, uh, you know, most organizations around the world, the larger ones, CIA for sure, IFOA for sure, ASA for sure, uh, those I know of specifically. And so, uh, and then finally, um, this profession, it, it, we, we think of it as egalitarian in the sense that anyone who can pass the exams can be a part of it. It doesn't matter what other characteristic you have. I remember um, I attended a, some meeting last year and one of, the, one of the presenters who I believe is a fellow of the Institute of Actuaries is on the autism spectrum. Now you would never have thought, normally you think of someone who is autistic as lacking in, men, in certain mental capabilities. Well, clearly that person was not. And so it, it, forms of, you know, even forms of disability really don't matter when it comes to, do you have the intellectual uh, and in capability and in inclination to take and pass those exams? So I'd say, you know, as long as you're, you're, you're willing and able to pass the exams, 
there is going to be a home for you somewhere in the actuarial profession. Roosevelt, your thoughts? Yeah, sure. And I agree with everything John said. And, and I, maybe I'll pick up from where he left off in terms of the uh, sort of the, the agnostic nature of the exam process. Anyone that can pass the exam uh, is is certainly able to to be a part of the profession. Um, but but as you as you become part of the profession, uh, having passed the exams and, and having the title of actuary is one thing. Really feeling like you belong as an actuary might might be something different. Uh, but, but what I would encourage, uh, you know, either those that are are in the profession or those that are considering the profession is to is to one a, a number of the groups that John mentioned earlier that uh, are, are there to provide support. Uh, to members that that may not have been as as represented in the past, um, take advantage of those those groups because I believe they are 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 really uh, there, there's a movement here that I think is is really going to um, benefit the profession as a whole as we go forward. Um, but the the other thing I would encourage uh, folks to do as well is is that as we as we go down this path of more diversity and uh, ending up in a place where there's more representation, um, not only will others learn from from us, but but we will we will learn from others. And and what I found is that as I've gone down this journey, as I've talked to people of all different you know backgrounds, as I've you know talked to folks internationally, um, this issue touches everybody, and and it touches everyone in in different and unique ways. And, and when you take the time to, to listen and, and hear someone else's story, um, you learn something about yourself and, and you, you I generally end up being better because of it. Um, people that I would never expect to have had those kinds of connections with. And so uh, I would also encourage is, is to be open to different people, different experiences and, and being, being sharing in those kinds of, of discourses about diversity, about inclusion about your background because you, I, it, it never fails. I always learn something from someone when we talk about this. No, I, I really appreciate that because I think that goes all around, right? It doesn't matter if you're from a, a minority background or a majority background, exactly. Exactly. right? There, there's, uh, there's a lot that we gain from listening to each other's experiences and, and being able to find ways to apply those lessons learned to our own situation. That's that's for sure, even though we may be in completely different circumstances, right? And different backgrounds and, and all of that. So I know I, I think that that's sound advice. I, I appreciate that. For more insights from the Conference of Consulting Actuaries, including webinars, meetings, and community discussions and events, check out our website at www.ccactuaries.org and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Are you enjoying this content? Consider participating in CCA's leadership development community to continue the discussion and share insights from this podcast. You don't have to be a CCA member to join. Just reach out to CCA staff to get started.